But then I'm going to talk about honoring fathers. And you see the little part two there in parentheses because last year I preached about uh, honoring fathers. And uh, I, I finished that sermon and I just felt like I had been about half done. In fact, now that I did this one, I felt like I was really a third done. Uh, I may continue next year. But I felt like I shortchanged you a little bit and uh, didn't really exhaust the responsibilities of good godly fathers. Listen, fathers are so important uh, to our families. They're so important to our society. Uh, let me give you just a few quick statistics. Do you know that teen suicide is 63% higher in fatherless homes? 90%, that's incredible, 90% of all teen runaways come from homes where the father is either absent or maybe there in body but really absent. 85% of teens with behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 75% of teens with drug and alcohol abuse problems come from homes where there is no father. And 70% of all those locked up in some kind of juvenile detention center come from homes where there is no father. Folks, if, if anybody wants to try and make the case that fathers aren't important, it's just ridiculous. And the stats just don't prove that out. Now, it doesn't mean they're any more important than mothers, but it means they're as important as mothers. God's designed the home. He's designed it a certain way. And, you know, this is just how it works best. And I understand there are situations where it may not be the perfect situation in your situation. But, but still, fathers, uh, we need to take note of these things and we need to be serious about our responsibilities as a father. Now, I want to tell you, first of all, gentlemen at Fellowship of Grace, congratulations. Because when I think about our church and I think about the uh, demographics of our church, our church is very, very unusual. I don't know if you have recognized this or realized this, but our church is quite unusual. If you look around the room and you see the number of women who come to church without their husbands, it's almost nil. I mean, there are some women in our church that are single moms, and they come, of course, without because they don't have a husband. But, but the number of men that just stay home and don't come to church with their wives and their kids on Sunday is practically zero at Fellowship of Grace. Now, that's, that's bizarre. In our society, that's, that's really, really, really unusual. Most churches are filled with uh, women and their children whose husbands are absent. Good job, men, but let's step it up. Let's keep going. We can't uh, just rest on our laurels and say, hey, we've done a good job. Let's pat ourselves on the back. We're done. We're not done. We still have a big job ahead of us, some of you longer than others. Uh, Rob, you got a long road ahead of you, buddy. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so anyway, let's talk about honoring our fathers today. And we started on Mother's Day this same way, and I want to just uh, let us kind of get back into this thought process. We should honor our fathers. Why should we honor our fathers? Uh, I share with on Mother's Day this same principle. It applies to fathers. We're to show honor to our fathers our whole life because God says so. Look what he says in Exodus 20, 12. It says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This is one of the Ten Commandments. In fact, when you look at the Ten Commandments, the first few deal with how we should relate to God, and the last few deal with how men should kind of work together, or how they interact together. This is the first commandment that talks about how humans should interact. So the first rule that God gives to mankind about how we should interact is this one. 
People, honor your mothers and your fathers your whole life long. Remember, this is different than obey. The Bible says children obey your parents. It never says adults obey your parents. So while you're a child and you're living in your parents' home, uh, you should obey them. When you become independent, you are uh, uh, you know, independent from your parents' responsibility, and you are grown up, you're responsible for yourself now, at that moment you no longer have to obey your parents, but you have to honor your parents. And so it's our responsibility to honor our fathers their whole lives, our whole lives. And it has nothing to do with how good your father has been. Uh, we are expected to do this because God says so. But men, let me just say, we can make it so much easier for our kids to honor us if we'll just be honorable men. If we'll just be honorable. Now, kids, if your dad's a jerk, <laughs> you don't get to not honor them. You still have to honor them. But men, if we can be honorable men uh, who do the things we're going to talk about today, it will be so much easier for our kids to honor us. Uh, I said this was part two because I started this sermon last year and, and I want to review very, very quickly last year's sermon. You can go listen to that if you missed it uh, on our website at fogkc.com. Uh, but let me just re remind you of the points so that you don't think I'm leaving those out. Uh, but let me just go through those really quickly. First, talked about providing for your family. Uh, look what it says here in 1 Timothy 5.8. It says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This is probably about the worst thing you can say about somebody in a biblical fashion. You are worse than a person who is disconnected from God. You are worse than a person who has rejected God and his son, Jesus Christ. You are worse than them if you don't financially provide for your family. Now, men, uh, don't get caught up in, you know, dollars and cents and, oh, my, you know, I'm married to a woman who's a, a brain surgeon and how am I ever going to make as much money? No, it's not all about that. What it means is you take on the responsibility of caring for your home financially caring for your home. It is our responsibility. It should be our responsibility. That's the way God has designed it. And you can listen to that sermon again. I don't want to re-preach it, okay? You can listen to that sermon uh, online. The second point we looked at last year was to provide loving direction and discipline. Uh, look what it says here in Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. We see here in this passage that if you refuse to discipline your children, uh, it's worse than being lazy. It's worse than being unintentional. You hate your kids. It's not me saying this. God's saying this. If you don't discipline your kids and make them act right, you just don't love them. You just do not love your children. Listen, if you love your kids, you make them stay in the lines. It doesn't mean you have to be a tyrant. It certainly doesn't mean uh, that you uh, treat your children poorly or that you somehow abuse them. But it does mean that you give them direct direction and discipline uh, their whole lives or until they become an adult. Then you give them advice. Okay? The third thing we looked at was to be a spiritual guide. Now look what it says here in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Just want to remind you that this comes out of the book of Proverbs. It does not come out of the book of Promises. I hear it preached that way many times. This is a proverb, which means that this is a principle that is generally true. In other words, if you take a, a thousand families that all raise their kids right, probably 968 are going to turn out pretty good, okay? In other words, uh, listen, hey, if you do this, your chances are way better. 
And when you look at those statistics, folks, and you see all the kids that have really serious troubles in life, who come from fatherless homes, who come from godless homes, the stats are much better for children who are raised in Christian homes uh, in, in some of those areas, okay? And, and, but it doesn't mean it's a promise. If you have three kids that are raised by the same parents in the same way in the same home and the oldest and the youngest turn out to be God followers and they are uh, wonderful people their whole lives and the middle one just decides to go his own way, it doesn't guarantee that at some point he's gonna come back. But certainly the chances of him coming back and being a God-fearing person are higher uh, than if you did nothing for them, okay? So that was last year uh, and and I hope that we can build on that. Today, I want us to talk about this, gentlemen. One of the big responsibilities of being a good father is to be a constant spiritual teacher and model for your children. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 through 20. It says, you shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, taking of them, uh, talking of them when you are sitting in your house and when you are walking uh, by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now this passage is specifically t- talking about the nation of Israel and what they should do, but, but this is one of those general principles that's consistent throughout the Old and New Testaments. Uh, when you look at the principle of, of sowing and reaping, that is a, that is a universal uh, principle that works all the time. Uh, what you reap is what you have sown. And if you want to reap something different, you've got to sow something different. Uh, this is the same principle in these passages about how we invest in our kids. And today, gentlemen, we're going to look at this passage in detail to see the five key principles that this passage has and how we can be a spiritual teacher and model for our children. The first one is this, internalize the word of God. I'm not going to read the whole passage over and over and over again, but I want you to see uh, these parts in the passage. It starts by saying, you shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. That means that we have to internalize them, folks. Men, we have to internalize God's word. Not just memorize it, that's good. Not just apply it, that's good. We have to internalize it. In other words, it has to become real to us in here. Uh, we can't just uh, go to church and decide, well, I, I, I heard this sermon from Pastor Michael. I'm going to make myself do these things. It's not just about making ourselves do stuff. It's about wanting to do it. It's about a change of heart. It's about a transformation that happens because we have a relationship with God and his word. Folks, we teach what we know, but we reproduce what we are. Listen to that. We teach what we know, but we reproduce what we are. When was the last time your child saw you reading from God's word? When is the last time that you, your child heard you pray besides before dinner? When's the last time your child heard you pray for them? When is the last time that your child saw you minister to someone. By the way, if you want to do better at this or you just want to keep doing good if you're already doing well, uh, first weekend in August, we're taking a team to Mascouda, Illinois, just on the other side of St. Louis, to do a mission trip. It's a pretty low-risk mission trip, okay? We're not smuggling Bibles into China or anything. We're going to go and help a church plant and minister to some people. 
great opportunity to take your teenager, great opportunity to take your, your uh, uh, child to go and be a part of this. They'll see you ministering to people. They'll see you modeling it for them and they'll actually be able to participate. So just a little plug there for an opportunity. But they should see us doing this all the time. It's important, folks, that men especially, that we internalize God's word here and it directs the rest of our steps. The second thing we see in this passage is to always keep them in front of you. Always keep God's words and his principles in front of us. Let's go back to the passage. So therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. It says you should have them on your hand kind of like a reminder. I remember when my dad would always put rubber bands around his wrist to remind him to do things. And, and he'd, you know, my mom would ask him to get some milk on the way home, so he'd put a rubber band on his wrist before he went to work so he could remember to do that. And I remember he'd always call after work and go, hey, I've got a rubber band on my hand, what's it for? And she'd say, pick up some milk. He'd go, oh yeah, now I remember. But at least he remembered to call, okay? Uh, but what it means is to keep them in front of us all the time. You know, one of the things about wearing glasses, especially dark room glasses like these, is that I can see them everywhere I turn. If I look this way, I can still see the rim of my glasses. If I look this way, I still see the rim of my glasses. If I look quick, if I look up, down, whichever way I look, I can still see that little rim of glasses. I keep that in front of me all the time. What it's saying is, do this with God's word. Keep God's principles and God's word in front of you all the time. They should always be on your mind. You should always be ready to relate it to life. This is not an afterthought. How often do spiritual things come up between you and your kids? How often do you talk about spiritual things? When they tell you about their rough day at school, how often do you apply spiritual principles to it? How often on the way home or at lunch after church do you talk about the sermon and say, hey, you heard what Pastor Michael said. How, do you, how does that work for you? Let's talk about that. Here's how it works for me. Folks, this is something that we need to do and always keep these things in front of our kids. The third thing is to be intentional. Be intentional. Go back to the passage again. Uh, shall bind them as a sign in your hand and they shall be a front between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children. That is emphatic. Find ways to teach your kids God's principles. Look for them in everyday life. Listen, I can can apply God's word to many different areas of life as I go through the day. And by the way, the more you know God's word, the more you're able to immediately recall it and apply it to life. I don't know, men, if you've ever found yourself in this situation, but occasionally I have found myself in the situation over the years where I go, hey, you know, that reminds me, there's a passage somewhere in the Bible that says something kind of, something kind of, kind of, and I'm not sure where it is or what it's applying to, but... It reminded me of this situation. <laughs> okay, I'm glad that we're thinking that way, but it's way better to say, hey, little Johnny, let me just tell you, in John chapter four, Jesus talks about this. Here's what he says. Now, how does that apply to what we're doing here today? Man, it's just incredible the way that that works. It's a benefit of knowing God's word because you can always bring it up and it applies, listen, it applies to almost everything in life. Almost everything in life, if you know it well enough. Now, sometimes I say things that get me in a little bit of trouble, and, and, and I don't want to offend anyone here, but there is a thought process that's going through our culture. It's sneaking into 
parents' thinking. It's sneaking into Christian parents' thinking. I see parents that write about it or post it or whatever, and and I just got to be really honest with you. This idea uh, of being intentionally unintentional uh, by saying, listen, I don't want to force my kids to come to church I don't want to force my kids to come to youth group on Wednesday night. I don't want to force my kids to go to youth camp. I don't want to force my kids, my younger kids to go to VBS. I don't want to force them to do that because I don't want them to resent the church someday. They don't like it. So I'm not going to force them to do that. I'm going to let my, my kids come to their own conclusion about faith. I don't want to, I don't want to influence them or, or mess them up or anything, make them do what I think. I just want them to come to their own conclusion about faith. And I don't want to force my faith on them. Folks, that is perhaps one of the dumbest things I have ever heard in my life. Now, if you just posted it on Facebook, I didn't read yours and decide to do that. There's a whole bunch of people that are saying these things. Do you let your kids come to their own conclusion about what to eat? Think about this. Do you just go to the grocery store and say, hey, little Johnny, pick out whatever you want, and if it makes you sick, you'll learn from it, and one of these days you'll figure out what to eat to make you healthy. You do that? Do you say, hey, I'm going to let you just decide whatever you want to wear is fine. doesn't matter. I don't care. It's totally and completely up to you. Now, I know there's some, some places where you give them some freedom, but to just say anything? Do you let your kids just say whatever they want to say? Hey, don't let them say whatever they want to say, and if people hate them, they'll learn not to say those things. They'll figure it out. Do you let them decide when and if they'll go to school? Hey, if Johnny just realizes all his friends are smarter than him and he's just dumber than a rock, he'll go to school. He'll figure it out someday. Now listen, if you say yes to those things, please make an appointment with me this week. We have to have a talk. Okay? Nobody would do those things. You hear those things and you say, well, that's bizarre. Nobody would do that with their children. Why would you let your immature, misguided child make a decision on the biggest issue in their life that has the biggest impact on their eternity? Why? I don't get it. Folks, that is a lie from Satan. As long as your kids, listen, I want to encourage you, as long as your kids are in your home, you just make them come. As if it was school, you make them come. You make them come to church, you make them go to youth group, you make them go to VBS, you make them go to youth camp, and if they don't like it, they'll learn to like it. You're going to hear at the end of our service today, from the kids that went to youth camp, not one of them said, this is the biggest waste of my time. These people are nuts. I'm never coming back to this place. You're not going to hear that. You're going to hear them say, wow, God spoke to me this week. God did something in my life I wasn't expecting this week. You make them go. You know, sometimes people don't, They say, well, my friends are coming to church, but they're coming for all the wrong reasons. I have a friend who's an insurance agent. He's just coming to get more clients. I don't care why he comes. I don't care why he comes. He could come because he's looking for women. I don't care. (laughs) Well, the right kind of women in the right way. You know what I mean? I'm just saying, listen, listen, no people who are far from God wake up some morning and go, hey, you know, I should really uh, go and spend some time with Jesus uh, today and some time with his people at church. I think I could really probably gain something. Nobody thinks that way when they're far from God. 
They come for all kinds of bad reasons, but they come and they hear the gospel and they see God's people and God reaches them. He touches them. Guys, be intentional. Be intentional. And by the way, if you are one of those guys who likes to avoid um, conflict, you shouldn't have had kids in the first place. But now that you do, but now that you do, you can't avoid it. And, and men also, this is one of those opportunities where you need, to be, you need to be the leaders of your home. And if your wife gets tired of fighting with your teenager, you just tell her, sweetheart, I got it from here. You take over and you tell your teenager they're coming. And they can fight with you, but they're not going to hurt your girlfriend anymore. Boom. Okay, let's move on. The next thing we see in the passage is to be consistent and authentic. Let's go back to the passage in Deuteronomy. It says, you shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house, when you're walking by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. What's it saying there? It's saying, when do you do this? Do you do it once a day? Do you do it once a week? You do it all the time. What are you doing after church today? Well, we're, we're going out to eat. Great. That's when you should be teaching your kids. What are you doing this afternoon? Well, I'm going I'm to mow the lawn and do some yard work. Great. It's an opportunity to teach your kids. Oh, I'm going to a, I'm gonna take my kids to a ball game. Great. Another opportunity to teach your kids. Just look around you at the people that are doing things around you and go, hey, Johnny, that's why we don't do this. Okay? I'm serious. That's a great time to just go, hey, do you see how those, I mean, listen, I got kids in Little League Baseball, okay? And it's a great opportunity to say, hey, Logan, you see how those parents are reacting? Do you see how they're so mad? And they're saying really ugly things to other people over a little kid's ball game. We don't act like that, Logan. You don't act like that. I want you to be a better, better man than that. Those are perfect times to teach your kids. When you're doing life, Find those teachable moments. Be prepared to teach them how to follow God. The last principle we see in this passage is to declare and profess. What it says at the end of this, says to do it all these different times, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, we are really good at putting those uh, pretty little uh, Bible quotes, you know, on a frame and have them in our living room or above the fireplace. And, and there's nothing wrong with any of that, okay? That's a great thing to do. But what this is talking about is making this known. Making this known. Let everybody know where your house stands. Let your kids see you talk to people about Jesus. Christianity is personal, but it's not private. It was never meant to be private. It is something to be lived out publicly. Your kids should hear you talking about people that you are witnessing to. And they should see people, uh, uh, the fruit of your labor in people's lives. They should see the lives of people changed by the people that you have ministered to. Our kids know a lot of things, folks. They know how to watch television. They know how to enjoy the same hobbies we do. Why is it that they don't know how to lead their friends to Christ, but they know how to do all these other things we do? It might be because we do those other things a whole lot more than we share our faith. It might be that we do those things a whole lot better than we share our faith. And I'm convinced the more you model for your children... Uh, uh, sharing your faith, the better they will be at it, the more comfortable they will be at it, and the more successful they will be at it. 
And I know God, God does all the changing of hearts. It's not about, but listen, when somebody is sharing their faith confidently and, instead of just haphazardly or clumsily, it, it, makes a, it makes a difference. So there are five big principles in this passage to be a spiritual teacher and model for your children. Men, you need to take on that responsibility. You need to take on that responsibility seriously and do these things. But wait, there's more. Yes, right? Today there's a bonus round. Because I couldn't make, this this didn't fit into this, but I have been uh, dealing with this quite a bit. As some of you know, I'm, I'm, I started Uber driving a couple of years ago, in kind of part-time, to have conversations with people. Man, the last two weeks, uh, two, two weekends ago, was LGBT Pride Week uh, here in Kansas City started. I had some very interesting conversations. I didn't preach last week, and I, I, I drove for six hours on Friday night. I just didn't want to go home because I kept having great conversations with people, with people who needed to hear that somebody cared about them. The people that I had in my car who were deeply struggling with a sense of who they are and their sexual orientation, almost all of them shared with me that they either had no father in their life or they had a horrible relationship with their father and they haven't spoken to them in years. Now, I'm not saying there's a direct correlation there, but there were too many that I talked to that, that there's not a connection somehow. Gentlemen, we should always provide an environment of love and acceptance in our homes. That doesn't mean you allow sinful behavior to be done in your home, but it does mean that it should always be an environment of love and acceptance. Uh, I, there's a story uh, in uh, Luke uh, chapter 15 that uh, is about a young man who decides he wants half of his inheritance. He didn't want to wait till daddy dies. He says, I want half my inheritance and I want it now, man, because I can spend that money. So his dad finally gives in. He gives him half of everything that he owns and his son takes it and just squanders it. I mean, he goes on a spree, you know, wine, women, and song, anything that he can do to please himself, he spends it on. He has really uh, just no lack of resources for quite a while. But when the money runs out, he finds himself eating basically with pigs while working on a farm, just so he doesn't starve to death. By the way, that's about the worst situation for a little Jewish boy to find himself in. Okay. He finally comes to his senses. And I want you to see what happens in Luke 15 when he comes to his senses. And I don't, you know, many times when this passage is read or, or, or studied or preached, the focus is on the young son. I want you to focus on the father and the environment that he has set for his son. Look what it says in Luke 15, verses 17 through 24. It says, but when he came to himself, that means the, the young man, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. 
But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Let me make a few observations. The son was certain that even after what he had done, his father would have pity on him. You don't see the son ever think or uh, uh, even surmise that the possibility that his father would say, hey, you, you, you did your thing, go on. You want to live that way? Just go. He knew his father would take him back, even as a hired servant. The son was certain that he would take him back, even after what he had done. When he was in trouble and he didn't know where to turn, home was his best option. Gentlemen, gentlemen, listen to me. Our kids should always know that. Our kids should always know that. His father responded with love and acceptance even after his behavior. His father didn't hesitate to show his son affection. He ran. I mean, if you really would study this out, this guy is like a spot on the road way down there. The only reason his dad sees him is because he's been looking for him. Since his son went away, he's been begging, praying, hoping his son would come back. And he sees him in this distance and he runs to him. And he hugs him and he kisses him. And he says, my son was dead and he's been brought back. Men, I know that many of you are not as emotional as your wives or me, okay? (laughs) And if it's hard for you to hold your children or to tell them that you love them, you just need to get over yourself. And you need to do it because they need it, not because it's easy for you. Hug your children. Hold your children. Tell them you love them. Remember their biggest influence of how they're going to view God their whole life is going to come from their father. It doesn't come from their mother. Many good things come from their mother, but not this. You set the tone for how your kids will view God. A few years ago, the cartoon strip, For Better or For Worse, I don't know if you've ever seen that or not, but it showed dad coming into a room where his teenage daughter is sitting on the couch watching a movie on television, munching on some popcorn, you know, and he decides to sit down and help himself and enjoy the movie with her. As he's sitting there, though, a little thought balloon appears above his head, and he's thinking, I remember when she was so young, I held her in my arms and loved her. It was so wonderful. Now look at her. She's all grown up and such a beautiful girl, too. I wonder what she would think if I held her like I used to, and I told her again that I love her. And then he finally concludes that she would be uncomfortable with that if he did it. It's interesting because the daughter in the next uh, thing shows a little bubble above her head and what she's thinking is I wonder why dad never hugs me anymore men our children should never think that they should never in their whole lives think ever have the thought creep into their minds why doesn't dad hug me anymore if it makes them uncomfortable just let them be uncomfortable I'm serious by the way I have to tell people that come through fog connect you know, people that are, have been here a few weeks and they're thinking about joining the church, I have to tell them that Casey is my daughter. 
Because I'm like, hey, I just want you to know, when you see me hugging and kissing on Casey, I don't do that with everybody in the worship team or, you know, it's not that kind of, it's not that kind of church, okay? Okay? But, but I freely hug her. I, I, I hug her, I kiss her, I, 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 but, and I do that with my other children. Not my son so much because it's really uncomfortable for him, but, but they know I love them. And we, our kids should know that, folks. Hug your kids, tell them you love them. Show affection to your wife and their mother. Does God ask us to honor our fathers? Of course he does. In fact, he, he demands it. He commands it. But men, if we will be honorable men, we will make it easy, easy for our wives to love us and our children to honor us, even when they don't have to anymore, even when they get out of our house and they have a choice they will still honor us because we have been honorable men. Be good men. Remember that your relationship with God is just the most important part of being the kind of man that will demand honor from your family. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the principles that you teach us. You show us so many things on how to live. God, help the men in this room to be good men. Help us to be good fathers, some of us grandfathers, some of us great-grandfathers. God, help us to invest in our kids and our our grandkids and our great-grandkids in the way that would honor you. Help us to do it because we love you. Help us to put these principles into our lives and to constantly be teaching and modeling for them, not in a, a weird, goofy way, but just in a life way, just in a way that's normal in life. Thank you for being a part of our life. And thank you for giving us the opportunity then to model that for our children. God, help us to do that well. Thank you for what your son did on the cross to die for us, to pay for our sins, that we might be connected to you, that we might know you and have eternal life. Help us to lead our children to you. Help us to uh, uh, disciple them and cause them to just want to love you the rest of their lives. Father, help us to do that in a way that would bring you honor as well as us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.